All right, come on in, find your seat if you can. We'll get started. I see we're already losing some of our pilgrims. They're falling off. They were a little pliable. <laughs> Don't tell them I said that. Yep, there's uh, notes on the back there if you want those. We'll do a quick recap and then we'll get going. Okay, yeah, the donuts are not for us. Not yet. Let me, let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are the God of every grace, every good and perfect gift that we have comes from you, the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Thank you for that. Thank you for that promise that we have in Scripture, that you are good and kind towards those who come to you in faith. Lord, just ask as we look this morning um, in Pilgrim's Progress that you would use the biblical truths conveyed that they would uh, shape our hearts and our minds to be more conformed to the image of your Son. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good to be back. Just going to do, as always, kind of a quick recap. Not going to read this whole thing. We saw Christian set out on his journey to the celestial city. We were also introduced to a key character, Evangelist, which we're not going to... uh, See again this morning, but probably next week we will. Um, He shares the good news of Christ with uh, the man known later as Graceless before uh, he was Christian. But here's how he's described. He's clothed in rags. His face was turned away. He's not looking for answers in his own world, his own house. He's looking towards uh, the scriptures. He has a great burden, conviction of sin on his back. And so he sets out on this journey. He reads the scroll that Evangelist uh, gives to him. We spent some uh, considerable amount of time actually thinking through what does Bunyan, what's he seeking to convey when he talks about the wicked gate? I argued that he's referring to Christ. Um, He's saying you need to go to Christ for salvation. Um, He is the only way. We'll look at that again uh, more in depth when we actually come to the wicked gate. It's interesting at this point, Graceless actually can't see the wicked gate. Um, Evangelist says, hey, can you see the wicked gate? And he says, no, I cannot. Um, I think it's probably alluding to uh, Graceless's inability to believe the promises in Scripture, right? I mean, you, you think about it. Someone who is a wretched sinner, you know, they just realize how bad they are. And they hear the gospel message that Christ died for their sins. And how often do you hear people say, it's like, no, not for me. Like, I, I've, I've done way too much. There's no way that's true. Um, I think that's probably what's going on here. And so Evangelist points him to the shining light of the scriptures. He says you need to go to God's word and that will bring you to Christ. And his footnote there is very, very helpful. He says Christ and the way to him cannot be found without the word. And so Christian runs from his home towards the wicked gate. Uh, There's a brief chapter there where he talks with pliable and obstinate. Obstinate is hard-hearted, thick-skulled. Pliable is... Pliable, he's easily influenced, and so what, he's, what Christian is saying, he's like, wow, that sounds really good. Um, I'm going to jump in with you. And so we come now to chapter 3 in Horner's edition. How many of you guys are actually reading through this copy? A few of you? Okay, good amount. Um, just so you guys know, there, there were no chapters in the original book, okay? So it just kind of runs from scene to scene to scene to scene. Okay, so the chapters are added later. Um, 
I think they're really helpful because it kind of breaks up, okay, here's this scene and here's this, okay? So just so you know, um, they're not original. Also, I have to add, I think Horner's done a really good job with the chapters and making it easier to read. I do think the pictures in this book are kind of cheesy. I just had to say that. Uh, like the artwork, I'm just like, it's kind of cheesy. Even like the book itself is not like the greatest quality. So um, that's the only downside of this edition is like, I wish they put some more time and effort into it, but that's just me, okay? That is not really that important. Okay, chapter three. I'm gonna be brief here. Uh, it's a very short chapter, not a ton I want to say. Um, it's very interesting here. Christian, he's talking with Pliable. Um, that's the context. He gives a variety of scripture passages to Pliable, all dealing pretty much with like heaven and the glories that await, okay? Now, it's right for Christians to think of these things. Uh, we should uh, set our minds on things above. I mean, Paul very clearly calls us to do that in Colossians 3, right? Um, and not on things of this earth. But I would suggest that perhaps Christian, or at this point, graceless, is not counseling his new traveling companion with the best scriptures, okay? Um, I think he probably should have used some different ones. Even at the end of the chapter here, Pliable says, well, my good companion, I'm glad to hear of these things. So come on, let's mend our pace. Like he's just like, wow, that sounds great. Let's get there real fast. Um, I think Pliable thinks um, this is kind of like a get rich quick scheme. Like he's just like, hey, this sounds great. Let's go, man. Like this is awesome. Okay. Um, Yeah, I believe Christian should have counseled him differently. Here's the dilemma, though. Christian isn't even really Christian at this point, right? He hasn't even passed through the wicked gate. He doesn't even know how to counsel pliable how to get to Christ and the cross because he himself hasn't even got to Christ and the cross. You see what I'm saying? Like, even he doesn't know. Um, And so that's why he's going to these scripture passages and he doesn't know the best way. In context, right, he's reading... He's, uh, you know, on this journey following the shining light of God's word. So he's reading scripture, um, and that will bring him to the wicked gate to Christ. Um, But he's not the best counselor is what I would say. He knows he's been warned of the wrath to come. He knows that he needs to flee from it. He knows that he is guilty before God. That's why he has this incredible burden on his back. He knows that God's word is going to show him the way of salvation. Pliable doesn't know any of that. Okay? There's no evidence that Pliable is convicted or convinced of any of those things. He just simply says, well, hey, the way you're going, this sounds way better, so I'm just going to go that way. Let me say one thing here on this chapter. Like I said, going to be brief. One thing here about Christian's burden. Okay? If you guys have the Horner edition, he notes kind of on that last section of the chapter, he makes a distinction that Christian's burden on his back is what distinguishes him from pliable. How how many of you guys notice, notice like, oh, Christian has a burden and pliable doesn't? That's significant, okay? And I want to make two statements. Why, one, I think that's a good observation, and two, why we don't want to put too much weight into it, okay? Number one, it's a good observation because it's true, okay? Christian has a great burden of guilt over his sin, whereas pliable does not have a burden. You can just read that, and that's true. That is a clear point in the passage. One of these guys, I think Bunyan is wanting us to think already, one of these guys seems pretty genuine in his journey. He's actually, you know, on the path, and one of them is not, okay? Um, Even by the name pliable, we should be expecting that he's going to drop out, okay? Second, we don't want to put too much weight on the fact that pliable does not have a burden because having a burden over sin 
does not mean you are a Christian or that you are going to become one. Okay? That's very important. Okay? Having a burden does not mean you are a Christian or that you're going to become one. Christiana, in part two, which is kind of like cheating. If you haven't read part two, you wouldn't know this. But in part two, she never has a burden. Okay? And she's saved. Like, like there's nothing about Christiana that we would go, oh, you know, she's unsaved. She never has a burden. Uh, faithful and hopeful. Um, two of uh, Christians' traveling companions in part one. It doesn't say anything about them having a burden, okay? And they're believers, okay? So um, we don't want to say, oh, you don't have a burden, therefore, you know, you're not saved or you're not going to be saved. In fact, in talking with worldly wise man, which we're going to get to, um, he indicates that someone could legitimately, now I want to say legitimately in the sense of not biblically, but you can, you can lose your burden through Mr. Worldly Wiseman's advice, uh, but it's not the biblical way to get rid of your burden, okay? So just keep that in mind. I think this is also true experientially. We know this in our own lives, right? Perhaps you know someone who, sure, they're convinced, yeah, I've sinned. I, I, I've done what's wrong. But when God looks at my record, you know, judgment day, I've, I've done way more good to outweigh the bad I've done, Right? They have no burden or conviction of sin that leads them to the cross. You see what I'm saying? They're counting on their good works. They don't have that burden, right? Um, And I would say one could still know the fact it's true uh, that I've sinned against a holy God and not have this massive crushing burden of sin on your back. You can just, hey, I know that's true, and I go to Christ, and I believe in him. And then maybe, you know, 10 years later, you understand the severity of your sinfulness, and then you have a burden. You need to be, do you see what I'm saying? It's not a hard and fast, you need to have a burden before you, you can come to Christ. We kind of talked about that last week, okay? So that was just one point I wanted to make. Again, I think with Christian's burden, Bunyan is seeking to uh, communicate his personal burden, Bunyan himself, his personal burden over sin that he had uh, before he came to Christ, Okay. Just one last section I wanted to touch on in chapter 3. Um, just a, a personal devotional point. Um, he's talking to Pliable. Um, he's talking about the glories of heaven. He says, I can better understand them with my mind than speak of them with my tongue. Nevertheless, since you are eager to know, I will describe them to you from my book. Pliable asks, and do you believe that the words of your book are certainly true? Sorry, I forgot the A in front of R. Uh, Christian, yes, definitely so. For they were written by he who cannot possibly lie. Bunyan footnotes there, Titus 1, 2, where it talks about God who cannot lie and all that he has promised before the foundation of the world. I just want to point out, here's someone who is reading God's word. He's convinced of sin. He's yet to understand fully Christ's person and work on his behalf as of yet. But he's convinced that the word of God is true. Okay? I think uh, Bunyan is leading into also his own, we would say, you know, systematic theology, but also something that we need to cling to, right? The inerrancy of Scripture, right? We must believe that what God's Word claims to be true is true. Uh, I was personally reminded, uh, just in reading this, of Hebrews 11, verse 6, right? And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek him. Part of biblical faith is believing that what God says to be true in his word is true, okay? Um, I just think that is absolutely essential, and I really appreciated that point from chapter three, okay? Any questions or insights on that? I wanted to be quick. Yes? Does that mean that you can't be saved if you don't believe the word is true? I mean, 
Is it necessary to make an unbeliever understand the truth of the word before they can really receive the gospel? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think they have to believe that the gospel is true to be saved, right? Um, I don't think we're saying, hey, you need to have, we're certainly not saying you have to have the Bible mastered and understand everything uh, before you come to Christ. No, but you do, I would argue, you have to come with a conviction that what God's word says about me and what it says about Christ is true. And then you're saved, and then, oh, okay, now I understand what X, Y, and Z are teaches. I, I, I am saying that if... Yeah, I would say so, yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, church history will just show if you deny inerrancy, you are on a slippery slip, slippery slope, and your faith is going to crumble. I mean, that's just true. I'm not saying that you have to have all of that figured out. I mean, God's word tells us the gospel. You have to believe the gospel is true. And that's what God's word says. So you have to believe that that's true. That's going to lead you then to the point where you would then come to the point where God's word, all of it, is true. Does that make sense? Hopefully? Yes? But don't you have to be saved to be able to believe? Sure, yes. It's very true. Yeah. I, I didn't want to get into this a ton this morning. But, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, it all goes back to, I mean, even Bunyan's theology of the sovereignty of God. We haven't even touched on it. But who's on this journey? Christian. But we all know biblically and systematically who is bringing him on this journey? Who is calling him, right? God, the sovereign Holy Spirit, right? So yeah, both are true, right? We only believe the gospel and that God's word is true is because the Holy Spirit regenerates us and tells us and testifies that these things are true. So yeah, yes. So, oh, okay, sorry, hold on. I am, just real quick, I'm gonna only take one more question because I wanna keep going. These are very great questions. Talk to me at the end, okay? Is that okay, Liz? Mm-hmm. Right. Intellectual assent is, yeah, demon faith. And demon faith doesn't, or demon understanding, and that doesn't save anyone. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, those are great questions. Um, if you want to talk about that more, I, I am happy to talk about that after. This is why Pilgrim's Progress is so good, because it brings up all these systematic theological issues, right? It's not just a, just a story. Okay, chapter four. The Slew of Despond. Uh, maybe you're like, man, despond, what does that mean? Think of despair, okay? Think of uh, this, yeah, for those of you who've seen The Princess Bride, you're in the pit of despair, right? <laughs> Think of that, okay? A bad place you don't want to be in, okay? Uh, the, the pit where you lose heart, you um, are in total dejection, okay? I'm going to read the opening paragraph, and then we're going to step back a little bit. Now, I saw in my dream that just as they had ended this talk, they drew near to a very miry slough, filthy quagmire, a swamp, okay, that was in the middle of the plain. And not watching where they were going, they both suddenly fell into the bog. The name of the slough was Despond. Here, therefore, they wallowed for some time, being shamefully bedaubed with the dirt. And Christian, because of the burden that was on his back, began to sink into the mire. What is going on here? Okay, well, in context... Christian pliable, they're on their way to the wicket gate. And what does it say? They're not watching where they were going. They fall into this swamp. So in context, you know, he's keeping his eye on the shining light. What's the shining light? Nope, nope. What's the shining light? 
The word. This is why we review things. Okay. The shining light. Remember, evangelist comes to him. Do you see the gate over there? And he says, I don't. Okay. Then do you see the shining light? And then he says in the footnotes, what's the shining light? God's word. And then he says, well, what does that mean? I still don't know. Christ and the way to him cannot be found apart from the word. Okay. So Christian and pliable, they're on this journey. They take their eyes off of God's word. Okay. They're not looking to the light of the scriptures and they fall into the slew of despond. Okay. They do not heed evangelists uh, instructions to keep that before them. We're going to learn shortly that the slew of despond represents fears and doubts of acceptance with Christ uh, because of one's sin. Okay? Fears and doubts of one's acceptance with Christ because of one's sin. Bunyan calls it discouraging perceptions concerning oneself. You know, someone thinking, hey, God wouldn't forgive me, you know, based on what I've, all I've done, there's no way that Christ will accept me. No way that Christ would die for me. All is lost. Okay? And it shouldn't surprise you, again, I've talked about this, probably Bunyan is alluding to himself. He's alluding to his own journey, his own progress. Um, I, I want to read actually a lengthy section here from Grace Abounding because I think very clearly this is what Bunyan has in mind. This is after he's been awakened to his spiritual condition. Okay? He realizes he is without Christ. Um, this is where he hears the four women of the Bedford Church talking about Christ and the, uh, the glories of the new birth. And we get this uh, account in Grace Abounding. Right before this paragraph, he says, um, it were as if his feet were on a miry bog, okay? Which you think, oh, that kind of sounds like the slew of despond. Yes, that's intentional. Okay, this is uh, from Bunyan, Grace Abounding. But my original and inward pollution, his own sinfulness, that, that was my plague and affliction. That I saw at a dreadful rate, always putting forth itself within me, that I had the guilt of to amazement, by reason of that, I was more loathsome in mine eyes than was a toad. And I thought I was so in God's eyes too. Sin and corruption, I said, would as naturally bubble out of my heart as water would bubble out of a fountain. I thought now that everyone had a better heart than I had. I could have changed heart with anybody. I thought none but the devil himself could equalize me for inward wickedness and pollution of mind. He just thinks how sinful I am. Notice the words here. I fell, therefore, at the sight of my own violence, deeply into despair. Sounds a lot like Christian falling into the slew of despond, right? For I concluded that this condition that I was in could not stand with the state of grace. Sure, thought I, I am forsaken of God. Sure, I am given up to the devil and to a reprobate mind. And thus, I continued a long while, even for some years together. This is true in Grace Abounding. He says a lot of stuff like this, where he's just doubting his standing with Christ because of his own sin, his own sinfulness, and he just can't stop looking at himself in his own sin nature. So I think in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, he's describing himself. A side point I wanted to mention at some point in this class, and I think it's a good point here, I don't believe Bunyan is saying that the slew of despond, or we could talk about, um, you know, uh, giant despair or doubting castle, he's not saying that these happen in the same order for every single Christian, Okay. You might, you know, come through, you know, the doubting castle, you know, 10 years from now, or it may be past for you. Do you see what I'm saying? It could be anywhere. It could also be the case that you're going to struggle with doubting castle numerous times. It, you know, you might sink in the slew of despond a couple of times or on vice versa. You could spend your whole life 
and the delectable mountains, which he's going to talk about, which is um, you know, a metaphor referring to the church and pastors, or palace beautiful, by the way, spoiler alert, if you don't know what that is, he's referring to the church, right? You could live an incredibly blessed life where you never struggle with giant despair. You're just always in palace beautiful. And that's great. That's a blessing. You see what I'm saying? He's not saying it's always in this process, but generally speaking, in the life of believers, these things tend to happen. Does that make sense? Not necessarily in that order. Okay, so don't take from this, like, man, whew, the slew of despond. Man, I know I was in that two years ago. I'm glad I'm done with that. Like, take heed. You might enter into that again, and you need to be equipped with how you should deal with that. All right. Into the muck and mire we go. We're actually going to dive in the pond here. All right. <clears throat> Pliable. Ah, neighbor Christian, where are you now? Christian, to be sure, I do not know. He doesn't know what's going on. Pliable. Offended and angry. Is this the happiness you have told me about as we have traveled? All he knows is just the, the glories of heaven. If we have such a halting disaster at this early stage, then what may we expect from now on till the end of our journey? If I escape out of this with my life, you shall possess the brave country alone for me. Hence, pliable, making several toilsome attempts, eventually struggled out of the mire on that side of the slough, which was closest to his own house. So he went back and Christian saw him no more. But he has a very sobering footnote here. What does he say? It is not enough to be pliable. That is not what matters. He's offended. He's angry at them falling into despair. Is this the happiness you'd promised me? Uh, notice he doesn't sink into this pit uh, nearly as much as Christian because he doesn't have that burden, right? He starts thinking about his own sinfulness and acceptance with Christ, and he's just like, I- I'm out of here. I- I'm done. Whereas Christian is stuck. He can't keep thinking, or he keeps thinking about that, can't get his mind off of it. Pliable gets out on the side that's closest to his home, and he runs back to the city of destruction. We never see him again. I was just reminded, it's a, it's a reminder of the parable of the soils, right? right? Remember how you have the, the seed that falls on uh, rocky ground, uh, the thorns, the birds come and eat it up. Um, you know, Pliable is one who receives the biblical message at first with joy, um, then the cares of the world or just the, the, the difficult nature of the Christian life causes him to turn back. It's a very sobering mo- reminder. Therefore, Christian was left to tumble in the slough of despond alone. Yet he still endeavored to struggle to that side of the slough, which was further from his own house and closer to the wicked gate. And this he did, yet he was unable to get out because of the burden that was upon his back. We could spend some time here talking about spiritual depression. Uh, We talked about this in Equipping Hour uh, back a little bit. Certainly, um, in the case of an unbeliever struggling to believe the promises of God's word, but also in the case of a believer, right? dealing with spiritual depression. Uh, The slew of despond certainly applies to them. He deals with that more um, when he comes to um, doubting castle and giant despair, um, doubts and struggles with Christ. Yep? I thought it was interesting that Pliable gets out of the slew (coughs) headed back, backwards. Yeah. Yet Christian gets out of the slew headed. No, you're exactly right. I was just going to mention that. Bunyan's footnote there, he says, Christian in trouble still seeks to get further from his own house, right? There's a conviction. Yes, I'm in this pit, but I am not going back. I've left that behind me. I'm pressing forward regardless of how difficult it is. Yeah, very good observation. He's adamant that he's getting away from the city of destruction. However, I, Bunyan, saw in my dream that a man came to him named Help, and he asked Christian, what are you doing here? 
Christian. Sir, I was advised to go this way by a man named Evangelist, and he directed me toward the wicket gate ahead so that I might escape from the wrath to come. But I was pressing forward. I fell in here. Help. Um, we're actually not sure. Help probably represents, some people say, does this, you know, represent the Holy Spirit? Um, or is it just a person? I, I'm of the persuasion it's probably a person, you know, like a, a faithful Christian or a pastor or something like that. This is the only time he appears. He's a very quick um, uh, cameo, if you want to say, real quick appearance. Um, help personifies, though, God's reigning providential sovereign care, okay? Um, he is coming to the aid of one that God is calling to himself, okay? He steps in. Uh, you know, if God has set his love on someone, he's elected them unto salvation, nothing can change that. They are going to be saved, and God uses means to bring that about, people sharing the gospel um, with that person. And so help comes to help him, as his name would imply. Um, Horner puts a couple of scripture references that I think are helpful here, pun intended. Uh, Psalm 20, 1 and 2, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. And that is what God does. He sends him help. But why did you not look for the steps across the mire? What are the steps? This is not like, if you guys have the footnotes, they're so helpful. Nope. Sorry. The steps, it, it, it literally says the steps on the footnote. The promises. Marie, say it proud. You know. You knew it. The promises. Yes. The promises of God's word. Those are what the steps are. This is vital. We'll talk about this in a little bit. <clears throat> not just any promises. The promises of God's word. Why did you not look for the steps? God's promises. Across the mire. Christian, I was so fearful in my escape that I missed the safe way across the mire and fell in. Then give me your hand. So Christian stretched out his hand and help lifted him out of the mire and set him on solid ground. Then the pilgrim was exhorted to be on his way toward the wicket gate ahead. So help pulls Christian out of the bog and Bunyan references Psalm 40 verse 2, which is helpful here. You just see how much scripture he has in his mind and how much he's trying to convey. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Verse 2, listen to this. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure, right? So um, Christian, he's out. Pilgrim was exhorted to be on his way toward the wicked gate. All in all, that's the slew of despond. It's actually a really quick scene. But I think most people, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, they know maybe Downing Castle, but it's like the slew of despond. So I think typically they're reading it and they fall into it and they're like, I'm done with this book. Um, that's why they know the slew of despond. Uh, but it's actually a very quick scene. <clears throat> he's then back out and he's on his path to the wicked gate. And this is a real interesting part here. It's almost as if there's a fourth wall break. Have you guys heard of a fourth wall break? You know what that is? So it's like in movies and plays, um, you know, when the audience uh, or the characters step out and they address the audience directly, right? It'd be like in, um, you know, like Empire Strikes Back. If, you know, Vade, spoiler alert, it's 2024, you have no excuse if you haven't seen this movie, and you must see it. Uh, but Vader reveals to Luke that he's his father, right? He's like, no, Luke, I am your father. A fourth wall break would be like if Luke stopped and was like, he looks at the camera, talking to us, and he's like, you guys didn't see that coming, did you? Right? Like, that's a fourth wall break, where it's like he's out of his character, and it's like he's talking to the audience, okay? It just doesn't make sense when those fourth wall breaks happen, okay? But that's basically what it is, okay? Um, here, it's kind of the opposite. Bunyan himself actually steps 
into the story. You guys notice this, right? Christian, he's on his way, um, you know, on the path, and then Bunyan enters the scene and starts talking to help. He's like, hey, why is this slough here? He's like, why is there this pit? This shouldn't be here, right? It's like us in California. We pay our tax dollars. Why are the freeways always broken, right? It's like, surely we have the resources to fix this, okay? And that's what Bunyan's saying. Like, why hasn't God, the king, fixed this? Okay, this is a really interesting excursus here. Uh, This is helpful, basically, uh, explaining what the slough of despond is. This miry slough is peculiar in that it cannot be mended. Being low-lying, it attracts a continuous stream of scum and filth that is associated with conviction of sin, and that is unending. For this reason, it is called the slough of despond. As the traveling sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there arise in his soul many fears, doubts, and discouraging apprehensions concerning himself. Then all of these accumulate and pile up in this place, and so this is the reason for the badness of the ground. This is the swamp that pulls people down. It is not the pleasure of the king. Who's the king? God, Jesus, yes, okay. Sunday school answer, right? It is not the pleasure of God that this place should remain in such a bad condition. For this reason, his laborers have, according to the direction of his majesty's surveyors, been employed for 1,600 years, that's in Bunyan's time, now for us it'd be over 2,000 years, in attempting to mend this piece of ground. Yes, to the best of my knowledge, this location has swallowed up at least 20,000 cartloads, as well as millions of wholesome instructions that have at all seasons been brought from all regions of the king's dominion. I think here what he's talking about is the promises of God's word from Old Testament and New Testament that have been brought to counsel people who are dealing with conviction of sin, and they just keep going in, sinking into the muck and mire, right? So just application We have to continue to keep preaching the promises of God to ourselves, right? There's never a point where the slew of despond is ever going to be done away with completely. That is what he's talking about. And those that know from experience say that there is no better material for making the ground solid here. The promises of God's word. That being so, excuse me, this being so, it might well have been mended, but it remains the slew of despond still, and so it shall be when they have done what they can. He goes on here. It is true, according to the directive of the lawgiver, that a number of reliable and solid steps. Again, footnotes here are really helpful. If you weren't convinced that the steps refer to the promises of God in the Bible, look at his footnote. The promises of forgiveness and acceptance to life by faith in Christ. Okay? The promises of God's word, particularly dealing with Christ and forgiveness. They've been placed through the very middle of the slough. This is interesting. In part two, uh, Christiana, they don't fall into the slough of despond because they go on the steps, right? That's what you're supposed to do, right? Believe the promises of God's word, okay? That doesn't happen for everyone, okay? He's trying to draw that out. Uh, but at such a time as this, when so much filth spews forth, as is the case during periods of changeable weather, I don't know what, if you're like, what does the changeable weather convey? I have no idea. Uh, I don't know, okay? I don't know everything. Uh, these steps are hardly visible. And even if they are noticed by pilgrims, yet on account of guilt-induced dizziness, their feet miss the steps. So they are thoroughly bemired, notwithstanding that the steps are there. Yet the ground does prove to be good once they enter, enter in at the, at the wicket gate. Just one application I want to make from the slew to spawn that we need to keep going. And this is one of the questions you have there. In times of doubt, fear, despair, someone struggling uh, with doubts concerning sin, depression, What should we point people to? The promises of God's word, okay? 
I mean, I think this is just a wonderful application uh, from this passage. Yes? As the song says, it's a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our eyes. Right, exactly. As Bunyan alluded to earlier, right? Yeah, we have to cling to the promises of God's word. They are yes and amen. We know that they are guaranteed because of Christ and his work. He gives us these promises of mercy, grace, love, forgiveness, redemption. So if you or someone you know is struggling, keep, I, I, this is a helpful illustration for me to keep in mind, is that they might be in the slew of despond, and they might be there for a while, but you also might providentially be the help that God has brought into their life to help pull them out. And it's not by, you know, some crazy thing. You point to the promises of God's word. That's how help helps them, right? Look to the promises of God's word. Open the Bible with them um, and study it together. Those are the sure steps that will lead you to the celestial city. We then get a brief, um, sad description of Pliable when he returns back to the city. The other citizens mock him for a little bit um, for setting off with Christian, but then they, they join in. Okay? That's the slew of despond. We've got some time, so I'm going to jump on to chapter 5. Um, if you have questions, happy to answer them, um, but at the end, because we're running short. Chapter 5. Christian encounters Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Uh, it's likely here, and actually throughout Pilgrim's Progress, that Bunyan has in mind specific historical people. Okay? So when he says, Mr. Worldly Wise Man, He's probably thinking, actually, in his day, 1678 or whatever, I'm referring to, you know, Joe Johnson or whatever. You see what I'm saying? That he knew. He actually knew Joe Johnson, and he's calling him here in this context Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Okay? It's probably true, actually, with a lot of the, the bad guys, um, I'll just say, in Pilgrim's Progress, even some of the, the good guys, let's just say, that he's referring to people that he actually knew. Does that make sense? Um, I, I found that very interesting. Uh, Mr. Worldly Wise Man, he probably represents, well, what does he represent, if he does? Probably a latitudinarian, you're like, what in the world? You don't need to write that down. An Anglican pastor, okay? A Church of England pastor, okay? What in the world does that mean? What are we talking about? Well, the Anglican Church, in this context, they were the moderate, um, what I would say, uh, moderate, when we say latitudinarian, they allow latitude or breadth in theology, like, they're not precise, right? So the Puritans were called precisionists. We need to do boom, 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 boom. We have to do this. This is the doctrine. Whereas the latitudinarians allowed latitude, breadth, okay? You guys can do whatever you want, okay? Um, he's probably representing a Church of England Anglican pastor. These are the guys who are in the established church, okay? Remember, Church of England. It's not like America where we can have Baptists, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, doing whatever we want, okay? You have one authorized religion, especially when Charles II comes back. The Anglican Church. Everyone else, the Presbyterians, the Puritans, the Baptists, like John Bunyan, they were dissenters, okay? They did not do what the crown said to do, okay? So he's probably representing an Anglican pastor here. He is emphasizing, and they did historically, moral reform, okay? You simply need to change your life. You need to do what's right. You need to do good, okay, uh, in order to be justified, which we call that, anyone know? Well, legalism, okay, works-based salvation. We'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit, okay? Uh, and that's why many scholars, and if you guys have read ahead, that's what Mr. Worldly Wiseman does, legalism. That is the way to salvation is you just uh, do good works. It comes from the town of carnal policy, fleshly, worldly principles. I'm going to get moving here because I want to finish this. Worldly wise man, hello there, my good fellow. I just think he's just this jolly man who's a false teacher. 
Uh, and to where are you traveling with such a burdened manner? Christian, yes, it certainly is a burdened manner, and as good uh, a one as any poor creature ever had. As to where I'm going, sir, as you ask, let me tell you. I'm on my way toward that distant wicked gate. He's going to Christ. That is just ahead. For there, as I have been told, I will gain entrance into the way that will lead to the riddance of my heavy burden. Worldly wise man then asks, you know, what about your wife, your children? And then he asks, hey, can I give you some advice? Then I would advise you to get rid of your burden with all possible speed, for you will never have peace of mind until then nor will you be able to enjoy the benefits of the blessing that God has bestowed upon you until such a time. What Mr. Worldly Wiseman says here is true. He does need to get rid of his burden. You're not going to have any peace. You're not going to have any comfort enjoying and living the Christian life until that's gone. Okay? You do need to get rid of your burden. Christian says, what you describe is certainly what I am seeking after, namely to be rid of my heavy burden. But I cannot get relief by myself, nor do I know of a man in our country who can lift it off from my shoulders. So for this reason, I am heading in this direction, as I told you, so that I may be rid of my burden. Worldly Wiseman then asks him, who directed you to go this way? Who directed you to read God's word and that will lead you to Christ? And uh, Christian replies, evangelist. Okay? Evangelist is the one who has told me this. It's a very key paragraph here. Worldly wise man, I most certainly beshrew, he condemns him. He condemns Mr. World, uh, Evangelist for his advice. For there is not a more dangerous and troublesome way ahead in all the world than that into which he has directed you. See, this is key here. It's not just that worldly wise man is saying, well, you know, uh, Evangelist has his own way and that's fine. Uh, and I have my own way and that's fine. You see what I'm saying? He's not tolerant of evangelist doctrine. He's saying, he condemns him for it. Do you see that there, right? I most certainly condemn him for it. This is wrong, right? Mr. Worldly Wiseman is hostile to the truths of God's word, okay? He stands opposed to what we'd say is evangelical gospel doctrine. He is contrary towards it. He is a false teacher um, who heaps up burdens. He adds to the burdens of those that will follow. I thought of um, when I was reading this, Matthew 23, 4, right? When Jesus is confronting the scribes and Pharisees, what does he say? Um, you know, he's pronouncing woes of judgment. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. That's what worldly wise men is like. He goes on here. Um, and you'll prove this to be so if you submit to his guidance. Indeed, you appear to have experienced some of this trouble already. For I noticed dirt on you that surely comes from the slew of despond. Look, you're already dirty. It's going to get worse. And here's another difficult part. That's true, right? What worldly wise men is saying is true. He is dirty. He's fallen in the slew of despond. And guess what? It's going to get harder in the journey ahead. What Mr. Worldly Wiseman is saying is true. Here's the difficult part about false teachers. The va- a lot of what they say is oftentimes true. See the difficult thing there? A lot of what he's saying is true. The difficult part is understanding what is not true. And what is false is the difference, okay? That is very, very important to remember about Mr. Worldly Wiseman, and especially for us today and listening to teachers. Oftentimes they'll say a lot of good things that sound true, but what they change is important. He goes on. uh, This is Mr. Worldly Wiseman. Yet that slew is but the beginning of your sorrows, even as other pilgrims experience along the same way. Listen to me, since I am older than you. Just a reminder, older does not always mean wiser. Okay, That is not a... You don't want to bank on that. Often that's true, but often it is not. As you proceed along the way ahead, you, will, you are likely to experience wearisomeness. 
painfulness, hunger, perils, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, darkness, and in a word, death. And what else? These things are certainly true since they have been confirmed by the testimonies of many pilgrims. So why should a man so carelessly place himself in danger by paying attention to the advice of a stranger? He's referring to evangelists. Why listen to this crazy guy that you don't know? And again, is what he's saying true? Yes, right? I mean, that's pretty much just taken out of 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul lists everything that has happened to him, right? What does Christ say, right? Through many tribulations, right, we must enter the kingdom of God, okay? The, the pilgrim's progress, if you will, is not an easy journey. It is often beset with these types of things. Christian's response here is excellent. Why, sir, this burden on my back is more terrible to me than all of those things that you have mentioned. His sin, he doesn't care about anything that he just mentioned. His problem with sin is what's motivating him. See, right? That's not going to deter him. No, to give careful thought, I don't care what I meet with in the way, as long as I can eventually be delivered from my burden. Bunyan's footnote here is really, I I like it. The frame of the heart of of young Christians, right? Sin, they must be read of the conviction of sin. This guilt and weight uh, of sin is genuine. He needs to get rid of it. He doesn't care about these earthly trials and tribulations. Worldly wise men, how then did you come by your burden in the first place? By reading this book in my hand. Another key paragraph here. Worldly wise men, I thought so. It has happened to you in the same way that other weak men, in meddling with things that are too high for them, have suddenly fallen into the same bewilderment that you presently suffer. Now this bewilderment not only humiliates men, even as I observe that you have suffered, but it also causes them to pursue desperate causes. Notice, Pursuing Christ and salvation, he calls a desperate cause, right? And so seek that which they know little about. Bunyan's footnote here says, Mr. Worldly Wiseman does not like that men should be serious in reading the Bible. Clearly, now I hope you see, Worldly Wiseman stands opposed to biblical Christianity. He is against it. Um, He thinks that, like I said, conviction of sin and going to Christ is a desperate cause. He also seems to think that reading the Bible needs to be left to the professionals, Right? Notice what he says there. What does he say? Meddling with things too high for them. Look, you don't understand the Bible. You have no idea what you're reading. It's too high for you. Let me interpret it. Let me help you understand what God's word says. Let me just remind you of this. In church history, generally speaking, when the Bible is left to the professionals, that's when heresy sneaks in. Okay? It's when common people like you and I have the Bible in our language, and we, sure, we don't have a PhD in whatever, But we read the Bible and we're like, that's not what that says, okay? So just be reminded of that. You, us common folk, have a responsibility to guard the truth of God's word. He says he wants to get rid of his burden. Wiseman replies, just listen to me. I'll tell you how you can get rid of it. Without all this trouble, you can lose your burden and uh, you can have your family and all this stuff. Christian says, well, then tell me. We're almost done here. Worldly Wiseman, why a short distance away is the village morality in which there lives a gentleman whose name is Legality. Now, he is a very judicious man of the highest reputation, and as such, he is well able to assist men with the removal of burdens from their shoulders such as you have. Just in case you've missed it, another gospel has just been introduced. Another way of salvation. Bunyan's footnote here. Here, Mr. Worldly Wiseman prefers morality before the straight gate. You do not need Christ. What is this other gospel? What's the other way of salvation? I already mentioned it. Legalism. Legalism. Works-based salvation. You'll see it very clearly in a minute if you have not seen it yet. Trying to go to the next slide. Here we go. In fact, this is Worldly Wiseman, 
In fact, to my knowledge, he has been a great help to many pilgrims in this regard. Yes, and besides this, he is most skillful in curing those who are plagued with anxiety concerning their burdens. To him you should go right now for immediate help. His house is less than a mile from here, and if perhaps you should not find him at home, then he has a very pleasant son named Civility, who is able to give the same assistance as his father. As I have said, there you can be relieved of your burden. And should you then prefer not to return home, as I would indeed recommend, well, you can then send for your wife and children to come to this village. There you'll find also suitable vacant houses available that are reasonably priced. Living standards and food, while being inexpensive, are of a very high quality. Added to this enjoyable environment would be the company of honest neighbors who maintain financial integrity and an attractive lifestyle. You can have the American dream, and you don't have to go through all these trials in the Christian life, and you can lose your burden. Christian asks, Sir, which way is it that I should take to this honest man's house? Worldly wise men, do you see a high hill? Notice even like the similarities between evangelist. Do you see the wicked gate, right? Worldly wise men, do you see a high hill that is just ahead of you? Christian, yes, very clearly. Worldly wise men, then you must go beyond that hill, and the first house you will come to is that of Mr. Legality. Did anyone read the footnotes? What is the high hill? Mount Sinai. Referring to what? The law, right? You could just say the Ten Commandments in particular, the covenant, um, the Mosaic covenant, right? I also find this interesting, right? When evangelist asks Christian if he could see the wicked gate, he says, no, I, I can't, but he can clearly see the law. He can clearly see Mount Sinai here. What is that representing? Well, I think oftentimes, you know, if you're telling someone the gospel, look, you're a wretched sinner, but Christ died for your sins. They're far more likely to go, that's not possible. But if you tell them, hey, honor your father and mother, do these things. If you just give them the Ten Commandments, they're like, hey, I get that. That makes sense. See the difference there? The gospel is hard to believe. In fact, it's so hard to believe that we need the Holy Spirit to give us the faith to believe it. The law, we can tell anyone to do the law. The problem is that's not how people are saved. See the difference there? I mean, this is a vital distinction that Bunyan is drawing here. Here's where the false gospel, legalism, salvation by works, this false religion of Mr. Worldly Wiseman, it becomes so clear. Use the law. Use the Ten Commandments, right? That is what you need to see the high hill, use that, and then you can come to civility. Then you can come to legality. If you follow the law closely enough, you can come to a place where you can lose your burden. Now, we know, biblically, is that true? No. In fact, the law actually just condemns us all the more. The more and more you actually tell someone, hey, just do this, just do this, just do this, the more and more that burden becomes crushing. And, spoiler alert, the next section is so, it's a wonderful picture. I love the next chapter. Uh, just of how we should think through preaching the law um, to others, because it's a really wonderful picture, but you have to read that, okay? Um, Yeah, I'm going to leave you guys there. All the law does is show us our need for Christ, uh, our need for his perfect obedience imputed to us. So, like I said, read the next chapter, uh, the next two. um, So we'll deal with, uh, yeah, next chapter, and then after that, we'll get to the wicked gate, okay? Next two chapters are some of my favorite chapters. I think after that, we'll go a little quicker, I don't want this to, you know, turn into the Pilgrim's Ponderous Progress, where we're just like, is this class ever going to end? But so far, I mean, I'm enjoying it, okay? I hope you guys are too. I hope it's actually helpful. Um, So that's where moving slowly is sometimes good, okay? Sorry, I want to get through a lot of material. If you have questions, you had great questions, I'm happy to answer. See you next week.